This is Wide Open, a series on how to embrace change and challenge your ways of thinking so you can level up your life, open up to new experiences, and pay it forward to those who need it. I'm your host, Tony Gonzalez. My next guest is a guy who has devoted his life and career to saving our planet and making you a healthier and more environmentally conscious person. His company, the California-based startup Beyond Meat, was founded in 2009 and has found incredible success with their plant-based chicken, beef, and pork products. They are taking the food industry by storm while offering delicious meat substitutes that reduce greenhouse gases, energy use, water use, and land use. You can now find Beyond Meat products everywhere from Dunkin' Donuts to Carl's Jr., Del Taco, KFC, and most recently, McDonald's. And as of 2019, July, Beyond Meat has had a market value of, wait for it, $11.7 billion. They have taken off. It's been truly incredible. Let's welcome Ethan Brown. Hey, what's up, guys? Tony Gonzalez here. Welcome to the newest episode of Wide Open, the podcast. Uh, I am joined today by Ethan Brown, uh, owner, CEO of Beyond Meat, the uh, company that I was an investor, Absolutely. investor to. So I'm actually looking forward to sitting down. We've talked before, Ethan. But I, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you very much. On. Thanks for having me. Big fan of yours, so it's great to be here. Yeah, uh, I, I, I so glad you're here because uh, a lot of questions, um, health questions, business questions. Obviously, you built this incredible company. Uh, you guys are, should I say we? Can I say we? Or, yeah, or we, we, we yeah. are in. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good privilege. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we're in uh, Carl's Jr. now. Yeah. We're in uh, McDonald's in uh, Canada, yep. right? They're yep. doing a trial run. Yeah, they just expanded today. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Yep. Uh, all over the place. The, the company has exploded. Uh, and I've been a part of it now for what, maybe two, three, three years or something like that. I feel like now? longer than that we've been talking for sure. But it's yeah, but I think we did a deal a few years ago. Yeah. It's been a while. Uh, by the way, it was a good investment. It worked out well. I think at the, the latest 2019, the last time it's been evaluated at $11.7 billion. Is so yeah, we had a, a, a really big run up right after the IPO. And now we're, I think our share is trading about 83, $84 a share right now today. Which uh, is so, great. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's, it's good. good. It's good. Yeah. Life changing, yeah. huh? It's been it has been. It has been. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, yeah. uh, well, let's start from the beginning though uh where did you did you grow up just quick backstory uh how did you grow up where did you grow sure up? sure so i grew up back east in in dc and in maryland um so i uh my parents uh, my father's a, a, a professor he's at mcgill now but when um when i was growing up he's at the university of maryland and so um i was obviously nowhere near as talented as you are athletically but i did have the benefit of having the university of maryland in my backyard essentially so i went to all the um, you know, uh, football camps, basketball camps, et cetera, and, and, and really enjoyed athletics growing up. But a big part of my life was also um, we have a farm that's in the western part of the state, Maryland, and my dad grew up in the country and really loves the country and so wanted to make sure that we had that exposure and, and ability to connect with the outdoors. And so a lot of weekends and summertime we'd be up there, and uh, it was supposed to be a place just to recreate, but he turned it into a, a dairy operation, and so mm. a little side business for us. And uh, so I had a lot of exposure to agriculture growing up. Uh, that I think informs how I think today. Mm -hmm. What's well, so? What kind of? So do you have, you have animals and stuff like that? Yeah. So dairy farming, yeah. like cows yeah. and yeah. stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, we, so, we had Holstein cattle. We had about hundred head of Holstein cattle. Really, meat eating family. Oh yeah, I ate a lot of meat growing up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and also, I heard you got into electricity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I did. Yeah, yeah. As, as yeah. you got, what did you want to be when you were younger? 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I, like most kids, I mean, I had, I had real dreams of, 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 of different things at different stages in my life, but the youngest that I can remember, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, uh-huh. and I read a lot about uh, vets and things like that as a kid, but, but then I, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player, uh, you uh-huh. know, like a lot of kids. Um, and, uh, but as I got into education and secondary and then in, into college and graduate school, <clears throat> I really started to focus on the issue of climate and, and, uh, began to, to look at, you know, what's causing all these emissions. And, you know, a lot of the emphasis when I was in school was around automotive and the uh, impact that uh, using fossil fuel for transportation was having on what we call the carbon sink. It was just filling the sink with, with, with more and more carbon and running out of atmosphere to, to store it. And so the climate getting warmer and warmer. Um, and so getting out of graduate school, I began to think about, you know, how do I make an impact in that way? I did some other things, but, but that was really my main focus and got into energy. Um, because I wanted to support renewable and, and alternative energy. So at first, one of the things I worked on was the electricity grid and was uh, essentially um, uh, deregulating that so that more and more renewable energy could come into the marketplace. Uh, but uh, I got into fuel cells after that, which hydrogen-powered fuel cells are a great way to power a car. That I think Toyota now has some that, that do it. Um, but ultimately began to realize that livestock was the elephant in the room. There was an enormous amount of emissions coming, not only in just terms of the sheer number uh, or amount of emissions, but the type. So methane versus carbon, for example, and the impact that was having on the world and wanted to think about things differently and how I could potentially make a contribution there. Uh, who was the biggest impact on you? Did you have a mentor growing up? Oh, man, I did. Somebody I'm, that like, was like, hey, you know, this is where you got to go. This is I'm going to guide you. Who was that person? I've been very blessed in that regard to, to have people around me when I was growing up that that you know, just had such an impact on me. My grandparents were really important to me uh, as a kid and, uh, and my father, uh, my mother. Um, and my father, from a career perspective, probably the, the most important and influential person. And we, he and I are still in touch today, you know, several times a week. Um, just when I was leaving school, um, I was kind of complaining to him in his office up, up at the university saying, yeah, I wanted to have a little more fun. I wanted to go up to New York, be my friends, things like that. And, and uh and he, he, we're talking about my career and what I want to do in my career. And I'd just gotten back. I was working overseas. <clears throat> I was at um, I was in Bosnia, and I was doing work. Uh, it was right after the war there on helping to set up elections there just to see the world. Uh, I, was, I was a low-level bureaucrat, probably the lowest level you could be. But it was great. I loved it. And I was just thinking about kind of what new adventure I wanted to have. And he made the point to me that, you know, at some point you got to think about your career over the long term and, and, and uh, figure out a framework for how to answer that question of what you want to do with your life. And so the way he posed to me was sort of what's the biggest problem in the world that you mm. see? Didn't tell me what it was. And I thought about that. And there's tons of problems. There's you know, racial justice issues. There's um, you know, health crises. There's all kinds of things, war. Um, but I, I tried to step back and think about what's the uh, most overarching issue that I could address. And if climate becomes destabilized, everything gets destabilized, right? You know, uh, uh, if you look what's happening now in Australia, what's been happening here in California, um, it has a comprehensive impact. And so I said, well, probably climate is the biggest issue of my generation. And so he said, well, work on that. And that's really what I started doing. Uh-huh. I love that question. Uh, I think, you know, I have four kids, you have children. And a big question that comes up for anybody, you know, yeah. we all go to college or whatever it is when education stops and it's time to go into the real world. Yeah. What should I do? Yeah. Instead of saying, like, what's a better way to, to attack that question is saying, what problems do you want to solve? Yeah. Yeah, not really about what you want to do. What's really special great. about that, and is a blessing, and maybe a little bit, uh, you know, can create challenges at some point. But if you 
approach that as a singular question, you know, what contribution can you make, what's your calling and what's your career, then all of a sudden your career isn't just going to work. It's mm -hmm. you're answering a calling, right? And yeah. that, the, the power that you can get from that, right? And the passion you can draw from that is so much stronger. Now, if you try to separate those two, um, you know, you don't have access to that wealth of passion and, and, and intensity. Uh-huh. And so, so from there, uh, it was it straight into, okay, I'm going to come up with the next alternative meat of I mean, it. How did, how did that, how did it go from there? You know, it's interesting. It, it I wish it was. I uh -huh. sure, I, and I, I, when I was in my early twenties, I invested in a company called Worthington Foods that was making like, and, and you've led this sector for, for many years with your choices and just being out on the forefront. And maybe you can relate to this. Like, you know, as somebody that had had a traditional education and been sort of trained in various things. And I was anxious about what, my peers would think what my family would think if I sort of walked away from the energy business that I was in and started this crazy idea. You know, would it be seen as hippie-like? Would it be seen as sort of, you know, what's he doing, you know, going out to the woods here and trying to build a tofu factory, you know, that type of thing, which is not what I wanted. But, and so it took me a while to get the courage to, to make such a change in my career, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had a pretty good run going in energy and, and uh, I felt that I was making, you know, a career for myself there. And then all of a sudden to go into something around, you know, that can be often derisively, you know, referred to as sort of hippie-like and things like that. I was anxious about that. And so I probably stalled on this for many years uh, and, and didn't, didn't do it as quickly as I could. And so the Worthington thing was important to me because I realized early, you know, that, that's a company that was making plant-based burgers. They weren't anything like what we make, but they, and I realized I had made an investment and it did well. They were bought by Kellogg, right? And so I was like, well, you know, maybe I can merge the interests that I have into a business, right? And so, um, you know, after a lot of soul searching and taking risk, I said, I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to go do this. Uh -huh. What was it? Was there a, a particular moment where you, was it an aha moment or was it just sitting in the room saying, you know, I'm just tired of, I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of feeling the way I do. And I got, I got to go for it. Like I'm always, for our listeners, um, I'm always looking for that. Is, is it something that's, that's huge? Was it a huge impact? Like, like the transformative power of crisis, I always yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah. Or was it, like you said, or was it just gradual? And then eventually you woke up one day and said, today is different than it was yesterday no, and I'm going to go for it. That's a great question. Let me think about that. Because for me, it was both gradual in the sense that, um, you know, over time it kept eating at me. You know, and but but I didn't get uncomfortable enough until certain things started to happen, right? And it was that discomfort that finally drove me. It wasn't anything else, really. It was um, as as my kids were born, we started to have making food choices for them, and I realized that I was making the same food choices my parents made, and I realized that if we kept doing that, you know, I had this idea inside of me, and if I just ignored it, I'm gonna live my life, and that would be it, and I wouldn't have a chance to do this, right? So I think it was seeing my own kids start to feed into a system that I didn't agree with that made me say, and there were little instances like we were on, I won't mention the chain, but we were on the turnpike when they were real little. And it came time, can't find it with Jersey Turnpike. You know, you can't find a lot of really healthy things to eat there, right? Uh -huh. And and uh, so we were buying something and I said, you know, this, I just can't keep doing this. I know there's a better way to do this and I'm going to make a change. And I think that was probably one of the biggest moments. At this point, were you still eating meat? Um, I myself wasn't, but my family was. Are you a vegan? I am vegan, yeah. And you've been vegan for, for a long time for 20 years, something like that. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. So yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so off of that though, because I grew up, uh, I was just talking to, to my producer, Eddie here before we started and, uh, he didn't know this about me, but I, I grew up a uh, seven day Adventist yeah. and I don't know if you, 
Look at this man. What? So I know everything about that religion. Do yeah, you? I do. I do. Really? So how? I'm no longer a seven-day Adventist. But, but how and why? And Well, my father. It's a family, obviously, yeah. most like most religions. Yeah, yeah. It's a family. Well, why, what, how, do you get to, how do you get into it? Uh, from my grandmother. It's been passed down. Okay. Uh, okay. My grandmother from Jamaica. The Jamaican big seven-day Adventist uh, over there. Uh, and so I grew up in this religion. I didn't live with my father, so it was really it was just one day a week that I'd have to go over there. Or if we went on trips, uh, we'd have to be vegan because they don't eat meat. And I remember eating the food at the potlucks or Loma these Linda. veggie burgers, Loma Linda. <laughs> there, that's where uh, my, it's part of that's my family, Loma yeah. Linda. First of all, it's healthy. There's no denying that. Cutlets and all that. Uh-huh. You have those cutlets, those Loma those Linda cutlets. cutlets. And I'm, I'm telling you, Ethan, they were, oh, they were so Horrible, awful. They were awful. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. Sacrifice. Dog shit. I'm sacrifice. sorry. Sacrifice. All well, the time. Yeah. So that's that's a big because I, I really do believe that's a big reason why most people don't want to embrace the stuff. And that's why it's making such a a huge impact now. People I don't know if people are becoming woke to use the the, the generation Z, whatever that is the term, but people are loving this stuff because it tastes better now. Yeah. So, so obviously, how did you deal with that? What made you say, okay, you know what? Because the product was already out there, but I'm going to sure. go make it better. How did sure. you start experimenting with that? So, for, I mean, first of all, Seventh Day Adventist fascinates me because it, uh, for for a number of reasons. But um, you know, and people don't know the history of that with Battle Creek and you know uh, Kellogg and all that stuff. But um, the, the by the thing, way, Kellogg, you mean Kel- the guy who makes Kellogg's cornflakes? That was yeah, like kind yeah. of one of the founders. Of yeah, that's okay. interesting, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, so they've done these studies around the world. Uh, they look at the world's healthiest populations, longest lived, right? Longest lived, right? And so. Um, Loma Linda, California is one of them. It's like Okinawa and yeah. some other places. The Blue Zones, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Zones. yeah. And, uh, and so, um, but the more interesting thing for me about that is there was a study done in the 90s about, um, and this gets to, I mean, there's so much to talk to you about, but there's, there's athletics and things. Um, they did a, a study around the height of populations in Loma Linda, and they took the kids that were in uh, non-Seventh-day Adventist schools and were meat-eating and ate the standard American diet, they took the kids that were in Seventh-day Adventist schools and were eating vegetarian, lacto-ovo vegetarian. And on average, those kids were taller, right? And uh. so it flows against the cultural norm here or the cultural understanding that you need meat to be, you know, super strong, tall, all that stuff, right? And so um, there's a lot we can learn from that community. But to, to your point about the question on, um, on uh, you know, there were products in the market for sure. I think where I started to depart from that approach was I didn't think I wanted to make a soybean masquerade as a steak or chicken or something like that. I had no interest in that. That was being done. and being done pretty well. Like Guardian's products are pretty uh-huh. decent, right? Um, and what I wanted to do was to try to understand meat better than anybody else in the world. Like that's really what I wanted to understand is what's the composition of meat? And so, you know, if, if we talk about this room, we could talk about what all the materials in here are, the wood, where it came from, how the wood is put together, stuff like that. But when we get to meat, it's like, oh, meat's a mystery. You know, it, it's, it, it grows on an animal and then we harvest it, right? Well, it's not really a mystery. We can understand what meat is. The bicep that you have, we can put that under an MRI and we can understand exactly what's in it. So we can do that piece of meat, right? And what's fascinating to me is once you start to delve into what meat is, it's actually pretty simple. It's amino acids, it's lipids, it's trace minerals, it's vitamins, it's water, just like your body, just mm-hmm. like my body. And that's no coincidence because we all evolved from the same origin of life. And so um, what I started to do was try to find scientists that were willing to go down that rabbit hole with me, willing to, to really dive in and say, what constitutes a piece of meat in terms of composition? And then where's the animal getting that from and where else can you get it from? Well, it turns out that we can get it from the same place. What the animal does, think about a cow. They're consuming a large amount of vegetation and they're drinking a lot of water. They use a digestive system in their muscular tract. 
to build muscle for work. They work with their muscles. We then harvest that as a piece of meat. So they've used a biological system to organize external materials into the form of meat. Well, we can use a technological system to do the same thing, starting with the same inputs with plant material and with water. So if you take our product and you do an MRI of it and you take a piece of, of, of meat that's been harvested from an animal, you do an MRI with, there are differences, but they're slowly collapsing and we're getting them closer and closer and closer. Mm. That's what I wanted to do more so than just say, hey, I'm going to try to get something that kind of fakes people out and thinks it's a, like, right? And so the question or the request I have of consumers is take a step back for a minute and think about meat, not in terms of its origin, not meat has to come from chicken, cow, or pig, which we've all been taught, but think about meat in terms of composition, protein, fat, water. If I can deliver that composition to you in the same form, I can satiate your body and deliver the nutrients in the same form, who's to say that's not meat? I've got a, a phone in my pocket here, right? It doesn't look like the landline, but I'm not walking around saying, hold on, Tony, I got to get my fake phone. Let me, let me grab my fake phone and answer it, right? Yeah. It's just a better version. Yeah. Right? We have to get people to think about plant-based meat in that way, right? Mm -hmm. And if you start thinking about it that way, you don't have to denigrate animal protein. That's a bad idea, right? We evolved eating meat, did a lot for us, changed our bodies, made our brains big, our stomachs small. There's all these things that we benefited from, from meat. But isn't it the quintessential American thing take something that's good and make it better. That's all we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and now you got a whole bunch of different products too. It's yeah, not yeah. just me, it's got the sausage, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, so, so you started the company. Tell me about the, 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 what was the biggest obstacles at the beginning? You know, it was finding, um, let me see. So I funded it for about uh, two and a half years, three years on my own. Um, and the, I think the biggest challenge that I was having was you know, the name of our, our center here, our research center uh, in Los Angeles and El Segundo is called the Manhattan Beach Project. And it's called that because we're, we're near the beach. Uh, but more importantly, I wanted to evoke that sense of urgency of the Second World War effort, the Manhattan Project, mm -hmm. uh, in Chicago, later in Oak Ridge, et cetera. And um, you can't solve big global problems on a small budget. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like technologically, that's, you know, maybe you can do it through movements and things like that. But technologically, if you're going to try to use technology to get us out of a problem, right? Whether it's to win a war or to to create the next, you know, um, a replacement for the internal combustion engine, like they're doing at Tesla, et cetera. You've got to have a big budget. You've got to have the best scientists in the world, the best managers in the world, the best engineers in the world. And when you're taking money from, you know, I, I was at the, I was in the fuel industry for a long time, then started to consult back to my old company so I could spend more time on this project. And I was using my consulting fees to pay my staff, right? And I wasn't, you know, you're not getting paid a zillion dollars, right? So how do you, the, the, it was frustrating to me to try to launch a massive effort on a shoestring, right? So that mm. was really, really hard. And I got myself in over my head financially for sure. Mm. Um, I mean, I've told this story uh, once or twice before about when I was pitching Bill Gates uh, the night before, um, all my credit cards were maxed out and I couldn't get in my hotel room. I was like, this is so strange. Uh -huh. like, you know, like, like he's rolling in like super comfortable, you know, and like yeah. the meetings, like one of 10 he was taking that day, you know, and for me it was like life or death, you know? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that, I'd already gotten money from Kleiner Perkins, but I still was just digging myself out of, out of the issues that I'd created financially. But, um, uh, so, you know, trying to attack a big global problem with a really small amount of money was really hard. Uh, was there ever a point that you said to yourself, man, I, I, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. This is, you know, like at, when you had that credit card debt, was it, how stressful for that? Oh, really, you know, it's, it was really stressful actually. Um, I mean, I can just, the type of things you got to do. And the, and the thing is, what was interesting for me is, you know, I was making a good living before and then I just sort of 
started to invest all that money into this project. And so I had had gone from comfort to, you know, and I was always pretty, I didn't go into a desolate state or anything, but to really constrained environment. And, and that was tricky for me and my family for sure. Um, but, I, you know, it's funny, I don't know that it's anything I can describe, and I'm sure you being as successful as you are as an athlete, I never thought I would fail. Really? That's the weird part. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't know the outcome. I didn't know this. But I was never like, oh, it's not going to work. Like, really? Yeah, it's weird. Like, yeah. Um, I don't know why. Uh -huh. You know, and, and, and through, I don't know, there's certain people that, you know, you almost thrive under it. You know, like I think you do your best thinking when your back's against the wall and you're like, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this as an athlete. Yeah. Like, you know, when it's like time's running out, you got to do something. Uh -huh. And I actually kind of enjoy that, you know, strangely. Yeah. You uh, know, most people that I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, I can't think of one case right now that since I've been doing wide open, uh, anybody who sat in that chair that doesn't feel that same way, that that unbelievable, that hallmark of greatness is is confidence, yeah. like absolute unshakable belief that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get this done. There's you nothing that's going to stop me. Uh, a lot of people sometimes have to go through something to get to that point, though. Right. Uh, I know that's how it was for me, my second year in the league. Everybody who's listening, they're like, here we go again with the story. But I, I led the league and dropped passes. Um, and yeah, but I do believe that I still had that underlining thing. I'm going to make it through this, yeah. even though this sucks right now. Yeah. I'm going to get through it. Well, one of the things, I mean, the drop pass is a good example. Um, you know, sometimes you do have to experience failure early in your life to mm -hmm. realize it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like it, you know, you can, yeah, I think that some of the people that struggle the most is who sail through school and sail through life. And also they get their first adversity. And they're like, you know, and so I had some stuff growing up that, you know, wasn't easy. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, and that just you're like okay, I got through it. I'm still here. Uh -huh. You know, it's okay. When's when's the first time though that you're like, you know, it, we've been going along, and we got this. Like when when's that first? Do you remember like a, a really a, important a day of it? Like, yeah, we got this. A really important day for me. There's, there's been a few. Um, was Kleiner Perkins investing in the business? So mm -hmm. I mean, I can't say enough about uh, the senior partner there, Ray Lane. Um, he's a big mentor to me in my life and in business. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I was in the wilderness before that for sure. Like I was spending my own money, uh, completely, um, you know, was, was, uh, tapped family and friends and stuff like that. But when, when Ray got involved and said, this is something I want to get behind, uh, he brought a lot of people into the business, uh, with him. Um, it was Ray and a guy named Amol Despande, uh, who were really helpful to me at the beginning. Um, and so, you know, the reason that Twitter, uh, and biz and Ev got involved was, was through the connection with Kleiner, Bill Gates, the same thing. So that I look back and say what, what big moments happened. That was really a big one that, that they decided to invest. Um, the others have been around product development breakthroughs. Like, you know, when you just look at something like, okay, this is it. Like, uh -huh. like we had this great moment back at our old labs in, in Maryland where, um, we have the, um, kind of big sensory groups we have now, um, where we're getting ready to launch this chicken product we had. And we, we cooked up some from Purdue or Foster or something like that, a strip, and then we cooked up ours. We blindfolded an electrician who was working on something in the building. And uh -huh. He said, tell us which one is which. And he picked ours as the, as the animal protein. And, really? Yeah. And so I said, <laughs> okay. I said we're ready. Uh -huh. let's, let's go to market. And so there's moments like that. And the last one would really be McDonald's. You know, it's, uh, we've had so many great partners along the way, whether A&W, Duncan, et cetera. And they've, been, they've just been great. They want this to work. You know, mm -hmm. that's the really interesting thing is you meet with these executives at companies and they all want to be providing healthy food to their, their customers and they're trying to make their menus healthier and healthier. And, and so when you relate to them on a human basis, you can see that they want this to work. And so when a company like McDonald's is willing to work with you for years, like they 
people talk about, oh, you're just getting at McDonald's now. No, we've been working at McDonald's for years and years and years. And mm. and uh, for one capacity or another. And um, it's so gratifying to be able to to serve customers like that. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of that then, because I definitely want to get into that. You're talking about something. Like I said, v- veganism, uh, veggie patties, chicken cutlets. You like, went through oh, it all. It's been yeah. around for a long <laughs> yeah. time. This yeah. isn't this isn't anything new. Uh even if it tastes good, sometimes, what about that customer? And there's a lot of those people out there. They're like, I'm eating meat. I don't care what anybody says. How do you, how do you go about changing that narrative? That's where you come in. And that's uh-huh. why what you've done is so incredibly important. And so, and, and Beth and Kyle here have been, been amazing uh, for our team. And I can, uh, so when I was growing up and you, you were part of this, the, uh, the uh, Got Milk campaign, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Uh, by so, the way, I've done a Got Milk campaign. Yes, I know. I, I, I have know. a picture I know of me with the milk yeah, mustache. mustache which, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which yeah, is, yeah. it's crazy now to think of that. I, was, I used, But that's where I was back I, then. I, I had to change the narrative. I drank a ton of milk as a kid and mm-hmm. because we had this dairy farm. And uh, and so I paid attention to that campaign a lot. Um, and you know, I loved all the athletes. Uh, you know, I think one of the earliest ones I did was Bo Jackson and then you, know, you and Derek Jeter and all that. And um, uh, I became fascinated with the the fact that they could advertise a particular protein in schools to kids where they're eating. Like, so if you go to a lunch line at a standard American school back in the day, they would have a picture of an athlete with a milk mustache or in the gym, they'd have a picture. And I said, how does, how does, how does a milk get to do that versus any other product, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they had convinced people, right, that you need this to, to be healthy and to thrive, right? And so uh, when it came time to, to build our marketing campaign, I said, you know, that's exactly the message I want to create because in my case, it's really true. Like if you're going to consume these products, we can talk about this later, you're going to feel better, you're going to look better, you're going to perform better, right? And I wanted kids to understand that more than anything else. And I wanted to speak to them not by having, you know, dietitians or doctors on TV, you know, saying you've got to do this, you know. I wanted to inspire people by showing them how good someone else can look, feel, and perform uh, by making a change to a plant-based meat. And so I met with a guy named Jeff Manning and ended up hiring him uh, early on. And Jeff was the original um, sponsor of the Got Milk campaign for the California Milk Board. He's in his 70s now, great guy. So we set up a, a program, but then I met Beth. I met Beth, uh, at probably Beth Moskowitz, um, I think the moment I moved out of California uh, over eight years ago now. And, uh, and it was really with, with her that we started to bring in um, – some of these really high profile athletes, you know, I think I met you through, through Beth and, mm-hmm. and then so many of the folks and to build this program that communicates to families that, Hey, not only is it healthy to do this, but you're going to thrive doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a different message than watch your cholesterol son. Right. Let's inspire people to do this. And that's how we go about attacking that, that, that notion that you need, you know, animal protein to be robust. Right. And I'm sure you've seen the game changers and yeah, seen it. Yeah. I was there at the premiere. And I love that movie, right? Because that's that's everything we're about is, you know, the, the, the information about the gladiators. And, and the one point that, that I probably do differ from most people in my field is that I do acknowledge and appreciate the role that meat had in our evolution. And mm-hmm. I mentioned this earlier in the, in the show, but if you, if you look at the history of our species as we began to evolve from primates, one of the key decisions that we made um, was to, and it was really the Africanus, uh, Australopithecus Africanus, was to, uh, the great, great Southern ape of Africa, t- was to consume more rather than less animal protein. And what that did was it allowed our stomachs to work more efficiently because it was a much more nutrient-dense source of food. So instead of having to eat vegetation all day long, right, we could start eating this really nutrient-dense source of food. So our stomachs shrank a lot. 
and our brains doubled in size more than it went from 600 cubic centimeters to about 1300 cubic centimeters. That changed everything for us. Then we started to be able to plan. We started to be able to do all the things we do as a society here, you know, create all this technology because of these big brains that we have. So I think we're indebted to meat, but we're now smart enough to build meat without using animals. And that's, that to me is really important. But the general notion that now, the one the thing that I really like the most in this point is around the the have you ever seen the Bud Light ad where they're talking about the guy's grilling up a quinoa burger? He he can't do enough to distance himself from the burger. He's like, this is my girlfriend's burger. I'm like he's saying he's calling quinoa. He's like saying it all wrong. He's in a he's tailgating right, and he wants nothing to do with the burger because it's not manly, right? Yeah. And so we have to change that dialogue and that narrative. Yeah. And we can. And, yeah. And you're That's helping That's the old, it's beef. It's what's yeah. for dinner. It's what's for dinner. Yeah, yeah exactly. They have such amazing campaigns. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of people, there, there are old school people. My mother is one of them. Like, yeah. she's like, I don't care what it tastes like. I, uh, you, But she wants meat because she's convinced that meat is what's going to make you give you the strength. And she, and she tells me all the time, that's how I raised you. Yeah. Look at you. You turned out fine. <laughs> right. And there are people out there that are going to be like that. The, 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 that's what I think would be the biggest challenge for anybody who's coming out with a new product or whatever. How do you change the minds of, of customers to say, okay, my, this product is not only good for you, it tastes good, but even then there's still other customers out there. And then what about the, the meat company? How about them? What, what has been their response to, to this? Cause obviously you're, you're, you're cutting into their profit and that's, and the meat company's pretty, that's a, from what I remember with Oprah, when she said something about the meat company, like they come down on you. I mean, they're powerful. How, do, how have you dealt with that? They're tough. Um, I mean, one is to to keep an open tent for sure, to build the biggest tent you possibly can and invite as many people as you can. And so our board, our group of investors rather, you know, has everything from the Humane Society in it to Tyson, you know, the, the biggest food, food meat company in, in, in the U.S. Um, you know, they divested recently when we went public, but you know, I worked with them for years with John Tyson himself and, and all of that. And, and um, you know, I, I think that, that having a collaborative approach, not demonizing people, not, you know, uh, um, judging decisions, but, but rather saying, okay, isn't it part of our heritage to innovate and try to make something better? Mm-hmm. And so Tyson can flourish making plant-based meat. Yeah. You know, they, and I think if you believe our thesis, if you take any sort of, you know, microeconomics course or, or operations class, what they, what they tell you, right, is that, you have to get rid of the bottleneck or reduce the bottleneck in your factory, you know, so, so to make everything more efficient. And we've done that in the sense of remove the animal. The animal's a bottleneck in agriculture. It's a thing that's, that's, that takes so much time, energy, resources to, to develop, right? So we've gotten taken that out of the system and we're using plants and water directly. Uh, so companies can potentially make more money doing it this way rather than raising animals. And so we just have to educate, talk to, uh, you know, build, build uh, uh, bridges between the, the two groups. I've met with the Cattlemen's Association, uh, talked on the phone with them quite a bit, uh, not here in the U.S., but elsewhere. Um, and I think it's important. You know, I don't hate them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of animosity toward us, but it's not because we're trying to antagonize or anything else. I think it's a big opportunity for everybody. We use a lot of co-packers that, are, that also, uh, also process meat from animals. Uh, so they can, you know, and what, what I think is really important about that is instead of getting a side of beef or deboned chicken breast that they run through their facilities to create a nugget or to create a burger, they're getting a combination of protein, fat, and water from us, and they're running it through the same type of equipment, right? So we can transition to this in a way that isn't completely disruptive. There will be losers and there will be winners, but there'll be far more winners in it than, uh-huh. than not. Is this something that can, it can coexist with? Yeah, with, 100%. Um, it has to. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think ever that people are going like, to just give up meat. It's like people still want chicken wings and watch football games or a big thing with ribs and all that stuff. Or 
what is the future? Do you think that as you guys keep coming out with the, you know, the latest, greatest, you guys are constantly innovating, right? And we trying to, to get it more exact, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever think it will, will be where you cannot tell at all? Because I've, I've had Beyond Meat and obviously I'm an investor and I love the stuff. Um, but I think the sausage, by the way, that is the closest resemblance. The, the, the breakfast or the, the link? The, um, the, the link. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. The okay. link. Well, you got to try this new breakfast sausage. That's even better. I've had the breakfast sausage. It's yeah, good. Yeah, but yeah. The, You but, like the link better. That's interesting. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I like the link better. But you, but if you get a Beyond Meat burger, you can taste the difference. Yeah, there is. For sure. But by the way, they both taste amazing and it's and it's gone. But you guys are constantly going to keep coming out with new innovations. We have and, to. And we, we have to. And it, it really gets back also again into, into to your culture and career and, 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 uh, you know, that's not lost to me that, that I can remember I was sitting in, um, where was with the Warriors, uh, years ago now. And, um, I was listening to one of their owners speak and it was about the, what they built. They talked about relentless, just being relentless. Right. And I took that word and I said, that's right. You know, we, we gotta be relentless. And so we built this program called the Beyond Meat Rapid and Relentless Innovation Program. And the goal behind it is to make the products that we currently have on the shelf with our name on them obsolete. Like, and that, and so if you take that mentality then all the competition is trying to replace you. They got to deal with you first, right? Because mm -hmm. you're not sitting there saying, hey, look at this great shiny object creator. You're, you have disdain for it. You want to make it better. You know, when people say, oh, you know, I went out to the store and bought your product, I'm kind of like, eh, because I know there's something even better that I have that's coming, right? And I want uh -huh. them to have that, yeah. you know? And so um, you have to have that constant uh, improvement mentality. You'll get killed. Uh -huh. you know? And so so uh, we try to, to out-innovate ourselves to, to save someone else the trouble of doing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, I like um, that though. Yeah. I like that to constantly look but, at your stuff. But on the on the um, the question of will people eat meat in the future, one hundred percent they will, absolutely. But the key and the, the the trick is where will that meat come from? Will it come from plants or will it come from animals? If we do our job right, there's no philosophical argument or debate or argument. It's just about you know which one is better for me, which one tastes great, which one maybe is better for the earth. Now, if we come out with something that's inferior. We have to argue to a blue in the face about, you yeah. know, do it for this reason, do it for that reason. You know, our dream, right, is to be able to, to walk in any McDonald's or Wingstop or, or what have you. And people are just having a great time enjoying it. it tastes just like what they've grown up eating. And, and now they're having this. And what is so inspiring to me and brings me so much hope is when I speak at college campuses, those kids get this. It's not strange to them, yeah. right? It's not sort of like... You know, your mom and my mom have some similarities. My mom, you know, still eats meat. My dad still eats meat, although very little. His wife eats a lot of meat. You know, she believes it's a blood type thing, right? And so, uh, which, okay, you know. Um, but uh, these kids are so open to the idea of plant-based meat. It's that, even that taste that is different that you're talking about, they're becoming familiar with that, right? And so that's a whole interesting idea that, that there's a whole generation growing up that this is standing for meat. And what does that mean when their kids come into the world and things like that? Yeah. Oh, that that's like, I, I always think about that. That's the hardest is to change people's minds. Yeah, it is. God, it's the, I mean, people like I, I keep going back to my mom. If I brought out, you know, a, a beyond meat burger and I have, I, I cook them and stuff. She won't even try it, but you're right. That's part of that older thinking. And, and uh, when that generation is gone, <laughs> like you're the next generations where it's where the true changes. So. so I was reading something. I can't, I'll have to think of the book in a minute, but, um, I think it was, it's a book called what is real. And it's, it's about the debate of anyway, it's about quantum physics, something, but, but it was, um, 
one of the quotes in it is about it's from Einstein about you know most of what we think about most of what we think of as common sense is just what we learn from the age of zero to eighteen. Mm-hmm. But just because you learn it during that period in your life doesn't make it right. Yeah. But it's very scary to say my parents were wrong or my pastor was wrong or yeah. my teacher was wrong. It's very scary because it destabilizes you. You all of a sudden feel unsteady. Yeah. And and so, but my belief and 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 how I've lived my life or try to you know anyway is is. To think for myself and to 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 look at something and not just accept it, yeah. and it's, it just takes a lot of work because you know it's easier just to to operate among assumptions and things like that. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I've talked about this before. Even our relationship to animals, I had to look at a lot uh, when I was growing up and, and older, and I didn't quite understand how I felt about it and why I felt about it. But then I read Darwin, and I was like, oh, there it is. Like we didn't necessarily, you know, uh, descend from heaven. We ascended from from mud and primordial soup, and what that means is we all pass through the same genetic structure. So we all have central nervous systems that are largely the same. We all have intelligence that's differing degrees. Our brains are structured differently, but there's a lot of similarities because that's where we came from. Doesn't mean you can't believe in God. I do. Doesn't mean you can't believe in Christ. I do. But it just means that, like, let's live your life according to facts mm-hmm. versus mythology. Mm-hmm. And if you start to do that, you can make progress. Yeah. And that's part of what this program it is. By the way, it's like being wide open. Let's wide open. Let's uh, let's hear a new narrative. Okay, just try it. And then if you don't like it, you can go back to your old ways. Absolutely, There's nothing wrong with that. But isn't it frustrating when someone's just not even willing to examine it? Oh, I think that's <laughs> there's yeah. a lot. Of, well, yeah, there's a lot of people out there. But you're right. I think with the younger generation and having four kids and seeing that they they call it that woke movement. I do believe that they are open-minded they're wide open they're in, and it's the best way to be let's go out there and try new things and see more exciting and if fun. this works yeah yeah and i and, and i love that so i, I want to talk about um competition now uh first of all what does competition mean to you what is that do you think competition is good because i've been having this uh thought with myself as i talk to myself in the morning about competition because i think back when i played football uh sometimes i would be really competitive meaning like i wanted to beat the other person but I all, but as I look back, I'm like, when I was at my best, when I played my best is when I threw competition out the window and just said, I'm going to go out there and just play for myself uh, and for my teammates. Like, like throw the ego out and just play for the love of, of, of the game. And I feel like I played even better, at least, and it was more enjoyable too. So what are your thoughts? I'm not, and I hope I didn't, I'm not trying to persuade you for sure. direction, but what is your thoughts on competition? Because in your line of work, we talked about it a little bit. I mean, there's Impossible. There's Tyson. Like you said, they're coming out their own, their own meat alternative. Well, how do you view competition? Right. I mean, so my, my glib answer is, you know, competition is good as long as we're winning. But, uh, <laughs> but the real answer is, um, first of all, I get, get back to, to, to your space and where you came from. I just admire so much what you guys can do in terms of inspiring whole communities. I mean, you're the modern day gladiator. And that just, to me, that's fascinating. You know, that, and I love the fact that we care. I mean, I love the Lakers so much, man. I watch them all the time. I try to go as much as I can. Beth gets me tickets. Uh, but um, Beth, hook me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but I really like, it's that idea that you can, because war is obviously not a good thing, right? But, but competing against another person, I think, is interesting and fun, right? Mm-hmm. And to give it your all and to, 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 to rally a team against another team, those things to me are great. Like, that's fun. And, and it's part of, there's something in us as humans that wants to do that, and we shouldn't abandon that, in my view. Now, we shouldn't do it in ways that are, you know, harmful or destructive, and that's why I think war is so bad. But, but 
organized sports, I think, are great because it allows you to express that sense of like, I want to be better, you know, and, and even being better than someone else is okay to want that, right? As long as the right context. And so, um, you know, in business, you get the opportunity to keep doing that. Um, and it is, there are people that it rubs the wrong way in my own organization. So, you know, why are you so focused on being the very best plant-based meat company? Why not just, you know, welcome everybody and kumbaya and stuff like that? That's fine. I do want other companies to be successful. I don't want Impossible to fail. I'd like them to be successful for sure. But sure, I'd like to be better than them. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. You know, it's, it's okay. Um, I think it drives you. Uh, you know, there's, it, it pushes you, it allowed, one of the best things about having competition out there is I can go to our team and be like, and, and also particularly competition that talks a lot of smack, that's helpful to me, right? Because I don't say anything bad about other companies publicly. I think they're doing a good job. But occasionally see an officer from another company say something negative to us. Well, what do I do? I go down there to, to you know, 85% of our scientists came out of biomedical. They're smart as hell. I mean, look what this person said about your product relative to theirs. Uh-huh. And what does that mean for you? You know, let's go get this, you know, that, that helps. But it is funny where I went to business school, there was a quote in the computer lab that I loved. And it was a picture uh, of an apartment building um, that uh, had one light on it and somebody leaning over a computer. And it said somewhere, someone is working harder on your idea than you. And, uh, and I couldn't find that same, um, same picture. So I just put it on a blank canvas, put that quote on there and I hung it in our innovation lab. And, uh, and a couple of guys came up to me once and said, yeah, you know, everyone wants to know who's working harder than us. We don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 it's not like a particular person. It's like a saying. It's like a thing. Uh-huh. You know? And so, okay, fine. But then the head of innovation came to me and said, Ethan, this is really causing problems. People want to know what this is about. I said, okay, well, I said, it's like, it's like in a locker room. You know, like there's a team out there that wants to take the title and they're going to, you know. He said, Ethan, none of these guys have been in a locker room. Uh-huh, I know. <laughs> so, these guys are... Uh, yeah, so I was like, okay, I'll take it down. Nerds. <laughs> so oh, I yeah, took that, it down. That, <laughs> but he was not being generous. Plenty of them have been, but he was making his point. Yeah. Uh, um, and so uh, so I, I think overall, the competitive spirit is a good one. Um, I'd love to get to that Zen place that you've been, you know, and sometimes I am. I mean, we're doing this not to compete with other people. We're doing it to make the world a better mm-hmm. place, but it's fun along the way. Uh-huh. By the way, I was a nerd too. No offense to <laughs> nerds out there. Uh, but yeah. Because, and, if you walk in, you see him as a nerd. You, like, is that believable? Yeah, it <laughs> could be a nerd. People come in, they see all the books. They're like, what are you doing? You need books. Right, oh, uh, well, you know what? Let's transition to that. Uh, uh, learning. You Obviously, you're well read. You, you, I love you, you read a lot of books and you're constantly trying to learn. Uh, how has that played a big uh, a part in your in your development with the company. I love reading. I love new information. And, um, uh, you know, I I don't think you need to go to school to be expert in something. Uh Um, I don't think you, I think you'd have a natural curiosity and some capability to absorb the information uh, is important. But um, why go through life without soaking in as much knowledge as you possibly can? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a book can change your life. It can change your perspective and it certainly has mine. I mean, this, this, I had this notion about the way I felt about the rest of life on earth. Um, but I didn't quite understand the context and I really started to read, I read a great book, um, years ago, uh, called the moral implications of Darwinism and, um, of Darwin. And that, that made a big impact. I mean, many books have, um, I just find it, um, it's kind of like food, like something you got to have. Um, and, um, you know, something that I really worried the most about with this generation of kids growing up is the, the written word is really disappearing, right? It's the video. Is, uh-huh. So 
it's interesting, you know, when you go to these universities and stuff, they, they, you ask them, how, how did you get interested in this subject? And it's never a book anymore. It's always, uh, which is not a, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's just changed, but it's, it's movies, it's things like Forks Over Knives or Game Changers or stuff like that. Um, and so that's really, I think one of the reasons this movement is spreading so quickly is it's really easy to absorb this information because documentaries are being made about it. Yeah. And like when you and I were growing up, you had to get off the bus or whatever and get someone put a pamphlet in your hand and say, you know, this is, this is how animals are treated in, in factory farms. Today, kids can just send it on their handheld phones uh-huh. and they're seeing it. So that the, the rapidity at which information is now disseminated uh, among younger people, I think is leading to so much change. Uh-huh. What, I want to talk about that. Um, what is, what do you say to somebody who doesn't believe that that meat is destroying our climate? Like what, what are some statistics off the top of your head? I'm not sure. Any. No, sure. Like, because I, because I believe too, that's, that's part of the, the, the narrative. And by the way, I, and I'll be honest with you, like I'll probably always eat meat. I, I enjoy certain aspects of, of, especially from a traditional standpoint, like preparing dishes until it gets to a point where it's like, Hey, I, I can't even tell the difference here. Um, and that's where you guys are headed. That's, that's your goal as a company. Uh, but what do you say to the people out there? Because I, because I, that was one of the reasons why I've been so conscious too. Uh, first of all, it's at the health reasons, but the, the global impact of what meat does, cows specifically, how, how does that impact the planet? So what, what's really important in, in that regard is not to just focus on the animal themselves, but all of the ecosystem that has to go around that animal to support the animal. And so um, there's been a lot of debate about this subject. Um, the United Nations came out with an 18% of global greenhouse gas emissions figure. Then they batted it down to about 14 and a half. But you have to think about what the United Nations is. I mean, it's a great, great group for sure. Um, but there's a lot of political pressure there as well. And so some independent scientists have done work uh, which shows a much higher contribution. Some have said it's up to 50%. And what those larger numbers are thinking about, whether or not that one is right or not, i leave set aside for a second, but the, the, if you look at the changes in the soil, the, um, the fact that there's an unnatural number of animals on the Earth's surface, I mean, think about that. There's over 100 billion animals in the agricultural system at any given time, and animals breathe. I mean, science can do a lot of things, but inventing an animal that doesn't breathe is probably a pretty tough thing to do. And so when they respire, they're respiring carbon, so it's not just the methane, right? And so, um, and then it's, it's everything from the water use to the land use. You know, 80% of our arable land now is used to feed livestock. You know, mm-hmm. in a, uh, and this is all, this, nothing is new in this regard. So there's a book written in 1971 called Diet for a Small Planet. And in that, they basically make this point that pulling food and protein directly from plants versus running it to an animal is the right way to do it because our planet's not big enough to keep running it to an animal. Well, that was done many, many, many years ago. We had a lot less animals on their surface. Today, we have so many animals around to support uh, the human population that it just doesn't work mathematically. So we have to figure out a way to decouple meat from animals, and that's what our company's about. Um, we can't, the climate can't sustain China and India coming into the same protein-rich uh, lifestyle that we have unless we do it from plants. And so mm-hmm. interesting about China, if you look at what's happening now with their, their, um, their, uh, their hog uh, uh, population, they had to cull 50% of their total hog population. That's about 25% of the world's pigs. Right, so overnight, almost twenty-five percent of the world's pork supply went away. Right, and so for us as a business opportunity, we have to move extremely quickly to try to capture that and say, let's provide people with an alternative so they don't have to go reinvest in those herds. Let's help them to leapfrog over uh, that particular way of, of 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 providing protein, 
and we now there's a crisis in the world, which is the absence of the, the lower numbers of pork uh, that we can take advantage of. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to do that. Uh-huh. So, and that's part of that global protein company. That's yeah. what yep. I've read that, that, really? that that's the, that's what you guys want to be as a company. Extremely right? important to me. Yeah. What does that mean? So you'll see us this year be very active in Asia, uh, in China, specifically mainland China. Um, you know, and I think that uh, you look at JBS, you look at, um, at, at, at Hormel, you look at Tyson. I don't see any reason that we can't be at least their size. Uh, you know, we have so many people globally uh, that want to, to uh, elevate to a protein-rich diet. And if they do it using animals, we won't make it. And so we have to figure out a way to serve that population. You know, as you become more affluent, you want more meat. Right? That's, that's a pretty standard relationship. And uh, as we raise affluence in different economies, we've got to make sure that we provide protein that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, Greta Thunberg. <laughs> yeah. what's, what's it been like working with someone like that? The, the young woke yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. I've been using yeah. woke a lot yeah. today. No, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I'm woke. I'm woke. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. People, people of our age have trouble saying that. Like, but even even like JJ Reddick, uh-huh. like I hear him say it. I'm like, he's, he feels like he's, I can tell that he's like kind of like woke. Can I say it? Like, <laughs> you can say woke. Um, but uh, um, I, so what I admire is the tenacity there. Um, one of the things that I find really interesting is what's happening in Sweden around um, this thing called flight shaming. Have you heard about this? No. It's fascinating. So Flight shaming? Yeah. So if you go, if you uh, fly to like a resort or something that you uh-huh. could have taken the train to, you're going to catch it. Like people are going to give you a hard time uh-huh. because the emissions are flying. Okay. And so it's really interesting to see this generation because they're going to have to live with this. And, uh-huh. and so what's happening in Australia, what's happening here, people are making the connection. They're saying this is really bad. We got to stop this. So we got to look at everything. But now the good news is we can use technology, I think, to really, if we really invest in technology, we can use it to find a way out of this problem. Uh-huh. So I can't fly anymore? I'm is. not saying that. I'm just saying that there's a lot of people in Europe that are making the connection. So people with private jets, man, they're like, jeez. <laughs> well, you just got a lot of money. You probably fly <laughs> now. People are like, come on, you can't even fly now. Oh, I get a lot of flack. I don't fly private, actually. I have in the past. But, but, uh-huh. uh, but so that, here's a statistic for you. Uh, an hour of flying private is the same amount of emissions as driving a car for a year. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. It's tough, right? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a private. I'm not that, I don't have that much money, but oh, to fly private. I'm telling you, it is, it's pretty nice. It is. It's I'm nice. Say it. It's really nice. It's really nice. A lot of stuff is really nice. Yeah, you're right. Just yeah. like, you know, having, just, you know, uh, some baby back ribs with barbecue sauce all over it is really nice, but. Until they come out with an alternative, it's going to be tough to change people's minds, and that's what it is. And that's why I love the company. We, ha- we got to do that. Do. We got to do that. I mean, we got we have to. The thing about meat too is it's 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 meat is such a part of our culture. Like it's it's it, you know we have when we have you know Thanksgiving, you guys, you know, the thank, remember Thanksgiving games, you know, yeah. the interview after the game, you're, yeah, you're eating this thing of turkey, right? Like so, it's it's just who we are as a species you know, in the Western world anyway. And, and so trying to take that on, like, good luck. Uh-huh. But trying to use technology to create an alternative that's better, right? Just, I, I keep coming back to the cell phone. You know, nobody is defending the landline, being like, damn, I miss the landline. I wish I could use the landline more. Yeah. You know, I wish I could figure out a way to carry this thing around with me. You know, yeah. no, nobody's doing that. Yeah. It's, we just provided something better and people love it. And that's, if we're going to be, that's why I do admire Elon. And what he's done is, is uh, you know, um, you can be a curmudgeon and be like, ride the bus, you know, do this, do that. Or you can create a really sexy car that yeah. everybody wants. 
which one's going to win? Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. Uh, okay. Finishing up here. I want to talk a little bit about more of your personal stuff. Um, sleep. What's how important is obviously I, I bring this up to almost everybody because I'm a big, I'm a huge believer in sleep. It's kind of, it's kind of changed my life over the last couple of years. Right. Uh, I've seen it. Cognitive improvements, body That's improvements, great. everything. That's what, great. What's your sleep routine like? So I, I agree with you on those points. Um, mm -hmm. and I try to get as much as I can. The, the challenge is around travel, as you know, Yeah, you know, it's a, you, you get in a hotel late at night and uh, you gotta be up really early the next day. So there'd be nights where you get really, really little sleep and you can tell your thinking isn't as clear and your speech is not as clear. You, you have trouble, you know, mm -hmm. uh, responding as quickly to things. So I think for performance, it's extremely important. I don't get enough for sure, but, but I'm, I'm aware of it. Um, for me, um, I think the, the, the personal, routine that I have that has been most effective for me in the office is to treat coming into work like a game. Like, and I, I mean, I'm not just saying that cause I'm talking to you, but that's how I think about it in the sense of, um, you know, am I mentally prepared? Like, am I physically prepared? Have I loaded myself up with a bunch of carbohydrates gonna make me tired two hours later? Right. Um, and so I get up early, um, you know, I'll try to meditate if I have time, but I'll always work out. I can't go to work without working out. Cause I got to clear my system of, of that. And I have to get, balanced and centered to go into work and then it's it's onslaught you know it's everything's coming out to you a thousand miles a minute and, and uh and so you got to be centered and for me a really rigorous exercise before i go to the office is important every day you work out five days a week yeah yeah it's five like, six seven days a week or on the weekends i do whatever i want to do and how long is your workout it's short i mean i do i do um so in the morning i will row like really hard for about half an hour and rowing is hard uh -huh. You know, and so I'll be, I'll be drenched in sweat and I'll try to go hug my kids goodbye and I'll be like, get away uh -huh. from me. Get away. You know? Shower first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, uh, and then, um, if I have time, I'll bike a little bit. Um, and then I take a break at two 30 in the afternoon and I work out, I lift, uh -huh. um, it's a half an hour. And oh, so you're working out, you're working out a lot. Well, I try, but you know, yeah. but there's this latest edition of scientific American that has this in it and I got, I'm looking forward to reading this article, but the cover is around, yeah, we were meant to exercise uh -huh. like, and, and so much of uh, again, it gets back to bipedal and, and, and the relationship to animals. Um, we evolved chasing animals, right? And so that the, the relationship of, of um, uh, the chemistry around movement and brain activity is really important to me. And yeah. it's, and it's, it's a part evolutionary sort of, um, there's evidence around why that was important. Yeah. And so I think getting away from that, I couldn't imagine trying to handle the level of stress that we have in our lives when you're running a company without exercising. I, could, oh. I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, so that's important. You do uh, sure. infrared sauna, uh, cold showers, cold plunge, any? Not yet. Nothing no, like I, that. I did go swimming in the ocean the other day. Uh -huh. but that's cold. More, yeah, it was cold. It was cold. Yeah. out here yeah. in California. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what about biohacking type things? To, and I'm looking for your secrets. Because so yeah. people out there, because I'm, I'm a big believer in people's routines, like right. especially people right. if you want to yeah. just copy genius, okay? Yeah. I want to see what he's doing. And maybe well, the fasting I do. The fasting—that's kind of interesting. Intermittent yeah. fasting. Yeah, yeah, I do that every day. Okay, yeah. every day. Yeah. And what's yeah. your what's your feeding window? Uh, I don't eat. I try not to eat after eight, but I really am not that strict on that one. But uh -huh. I, do, I definitely don't eat until eleven, and on the weekends till probably later because uh -huh. I'm busy with stuff. So, do you do that? Just all that? This is just part of your routine. Now. Yeah, and it feels great. Uh -huh. like, yeah, I, I know. I, yeah. I intermittent yeah. fast too. Yeah, and it. I mean, it's, it just feels really like cleansing every day, and yeah. and, uh, and you you have that sort of. What they call the falcon, or you're like you're 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 hungry enough to be hyper alert, but yeah. you're not so hungry that you're kind of you know, yeah. like, like just losing it. Yeah. Um, well, good. Uh, well, the final questions here. What's uh, what's the number one meat that you're struggling to duplicate? 
So I think that the, the holy grail for us is really around bacon and steak. And those are more difficult because they're naked in presentation to the consumer in the sense that you can see where the fat is, you can see where the, the protein is and a piece of bacon, for example. And then steak, same thing. It's a sort of whole muscle, right? So those are hard. Um, uh, a, a true fresh chicken breast is hard because it has that almost translucent skin to it. Um, yeah. And so those are difficult. We'll get there. I mean, it's it's... The wonderful thing about this project that I love so much is that when I was in the fuel cell industry, we were competing against diesel engines quite a bit in one of our sectors. And uh, I remember we met with the largest diesel engine company in the world and the CEO said to us, you know, well, we, we, our, our efficiency is, is X, it was Cummings uh, power generation. And we've, we've increased our efficiency by this amount. And I realized, you know, this, we're, 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 we're going after target that keeps getting better, right? They were getting more and more efficient. and. In this case, you can't make the animal more efficient than it is already. Like we've done everything we can do because as we try to create more efficiency within animal agriculture, the consumer pushes back. They're like, you know, no gestation crates. They want the battery cages bigger for for the animals. Uh, you know, the, the weight that we're putting onto a bird now is so heavy they can't walk. Yeah. So that these things that are happening where we've reached the limit of, of improvement. And so it's a static target. And then here we have this, all, so we have all this science and all this engineering and talent going after replicating that right and it's standing still so it's kind of almost a inevitability that we're going to get there right? uh -huh. and so these things are complicated but we can get them we can yeah. send someone to the moon we can do this would you ever put like a little bone in that like i talked about baby back all the time baby. i talk about this all the time people don't go crazy about this like like a chicken like you said how about after the thursday night that's football game during thanksgiving Let's have go it. up there one of those mvp uh aaron Rodgers come out there and just take yeah. a big fake I'm, about, I'm, talking, I'm talking about this mvp over here let's get him to uh let's during one of the fox shows let's get you to do if i if i do that will you, will you grab a bite of it you'll have a fake leg it'll take me a while but if uh -huh. i do that yeah we, of course i'll get those guys <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. um but but what i what i what i would like to do on that is can we make it even better this uh -huh. is a little crazy could you make it so it's consumable and it has things in it you want like remember the bone? Those, yeah, remember those dipping things you used to. You know, oh, to have the bone and then eat it. Like, like a, let's say let's say super calcium rich. Like a cone. Like a. Well, you know what's the thing you put in the dip? Dipping dip dots. No, it's not the dipping dots. Dipstick. 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 Do you you, don't, you just throw the dipstick out after you done? No, you eat that. I know. You crack it. It tastes good. I remember though. Those were the expensive candies. I didn't have <laughs> enough money for that one. Man. I was a Jolly Rancher guy. <laughs> Jolly Rancher. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know it hurt, hurt your teeth and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I had cavities. Yeah. Um, 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 uh, dream dinner party. Who would you invite? Three guests, living or dead? Um, oh, man. I already know what you'd serve. What would you <laughs> serve? What's your favorite product? Uh, yeah, what, three guests, and then what would you serve from the Beyond Meat uh, that's a great, line? That's a great question about the three guests. And I can't say present company because I've I, you know, got so many folks. Well, you can pick anybody in history. Uh, you should see some people. Come, this is actually pretty interesting when people come up with the so, so one of the great blessings of this business, by the way, for me personally, is this, the, the number of people. Like I can be a fanboy for sure. And so the number of people, like I'm a fan of yours. And and uh, and so, you know, like like Tyson being down the street from us, like I can't get over that. Mike Tyson. I can't get over it. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like I, it's amazing. Like yeah. I admire that guy and what he's been through. And I love going down there and seeing him, you know, and things like that. But in terms of like, if I had to really pick and who do I want to like, you know, be, be, be if I had this one shot, um, that's a good question. I mean, is it? <laughs> you got to think of it. Uh, I don't know. Think about I mean, James kind of, Brown. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, I'd absolutely pick Lincoln. Like I'm fascinated. Lincoln. Okay, um, so Lincoln. I'd love to sit down with Lincoln. Yeah, uh -huh. uh, for sure. Um, I'd obviously pick Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, that's actually a pretty common answer. A lot of people yeah. pick Jesus. Yeah. Um, 
And then uh, who'd be my third. Um, you know, I just saw a movie on Harry Tubman. I'd probably pick her. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to see. It. I mean, with the risk she took, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. The pain she went through would be fascinating to me. But I, it might change. And it depends on what my motive is. Yeah, you know, what, what's my night like? What, what's, you know, like? Yeah, I always pick it. I'm like, I, I got to have a fun guy there. I think I had Frank Sinatra there or something. Like somebody there is going to ask some cocktails and tell some jokes, make, make us laugh too. We can't just be all philosophical. Right. That's just me for yeah. my dinner. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be too serious all the time. It's like, right. hey, let's, I, I like to fluctuate between Neanderthal and, and, and Gandhi. Yeah, well, so, like, I, so Gandhi's interesting too. So I got, <laughs> I got so my, my thing with that is, is I, so I, I just took the, the, the whole company here in LA to see Ford versus Ferrari. Uh-huh. So it's a great movie. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you, will, you will love it. So, yeah. but, but uh, in general though, I tend to shy away from super serious movies. Like when I go to the movies, I want to like Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. You know, I, I, want, I want to relax, take my head out of the game and just sit there and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do. What would you serve them? What, what, what's your number one product that you're like, man, this is going to hit them. Like if you're a chef, I, I love asking chefs this. What is the thing that you're going to serve somebody and you got to impress the hell out of them? Right. From, from your line, what is your number one thing? I mean, the thing that I'm most proud of uh, is, is probably our, our, um, our breakfast sauces. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Um, is I think that it does, it gets closest to that indistinguishable experience for the consumer. But also, I'm really focused on diversifying the protein feedstock. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you were growing up and it was Loma Linda, they were using soy, right? And yeah. so, so when I first started the company, I didn't want to rely only on soy because I just knew there were issues that people had, con- largely consumer misunderstanding about it, but it was real. I really do believe in, you, know, you got to obsess about the consumer. One of the things that Bezos did so well was to really obsess about the consumer. And he was right. Like, you got to just make sure the consumer and you are on, in a love affair. And so, uh, uh, you know, if the consumer thinks soy is bad, I'm gonna say, okay, you know. Uh, but at any rate, so we went in to, to look for peas and we started to use peas and they were so bad, what we were getting at first, that I ordered all this stuff and the only thing I could use it for was breakfast cereal. So I would take this thing, it was supposed to be a substitute, but it was good as, as a cereal. Like, and I would just pour milk on a, a plant-based milk and I would eat it. But over the years, we'd be able to make peas work in our products. If you think about this thesis, it's essentially we're looking for amino acids. And so you can get amino acids from anything from mustard seed, camelina, lupin. You can get it from cottonseed, for example. You can get it from tobacco leaves if you wanted to, right? There's protein is everywhere, right? Amino acids are everywhere. And so um, I think it's really important to diversify our the, the proteins we're using. And one of the things when you do that, particularly as an athlete, is you can increase the protein score. So our breakfast sausage has more protein in that pork because what we've done is taken amino acids out of sunflower seeds, out of mung bean, out of brown rice, and out of peas, we combine them in a way that optimizes that amino acid score. So when you bite into a piece of our product, you're having 50% of the fat that you'd get in a normal pork sausage. You're getting 37% less saturated fat, but you're also getting more protein and more iron. To me, that is kind of like the phone we've been talking about or the car we've been talking about. Let's just make it better, right? Not just on par, but let's make it better. I think our product is better. Mm, nice. I'm proud of that one. So that's so the breakfast sausage. Everyone be having breakfast. That's it. Breakfast sauce. That's it. You just get breakfast sauce. That's <laughs> all we got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, book recommendations. Give me uh, your top three for people out there that want to level up, get better. Right. Um, just started a book called Loon Shots by uh, Safi Bakal. Um, it's about how to foster a culture of innovation. I think it's pretty good. Um, I'm just I'm reading two books that are questions. One is What is Life, um, which is about the origin of life. I think it's really interesting. Uh, and the other is what is real, uh, which I mentioned earlier um, about uh, the debate 
about quantum physics and 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 uh, this idea that that observation changes things. Yeah, uh, those books are interesting to me. Oh, um, I love those books. Yeah. Uh, what I haven't read them, but I mean, I love I, those I, type of books. I love biographies too. Like I mean, uh-huh. biographies I'll go all day. What's your like, What's your best biography ever? That somebody's like, hey, you got to go read this one. This is the one. One of the ones I found just gripping that I couldn't put down was Tyson's. Mike, Mike Tyson's book. I, I loved that book. Uh-huh. I, I love the what he's been through, and I don't love it. It was hard for him. It's awful for him. But that that what he's been able to do with his life after going through people people judge some of the things he did and things like that, but like try to walk in his shoes as a kid, yeah. try to go through what he went through, you know, yeah. and and uh, and come out where he is today. Yeah, uh, it's a fascinating read. Yeah, good. All right, final question: What's uh, one area of your life that you'd like to improve in that you're wide open to learning? You should, more about? If you'd ask that first, we give the whole hour on it. <laughs> <laughs> There's an intensity to everything that I'm doing right now that like there's a toll to it, right? And so how do you move things forward in a way that is not depleting? You know, that's a tough thing to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know this as an athlete, right? Like you, you could go through a season, have your best season ever, and that'd be the last season you ever have because you didn't take care of yourself or something like that. You know, I need to figure that out a little bit um, for sure, uh, that balance. Um, um that's probably the biggest one would be would be how to how to stay. I love what I'm doing and I love the mission, um, and uh, but just need to figure out a way to make sure that I'm I'm able to do it for a long time. Mm. Yeah, cool. That's it. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks <laughs> for coming on. Yeah, of I appreciate course, it. Man. Of course, of course. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, thanks for listening to Wide Open. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all podcast platforms and hit me up on social media at Tony Gonzalez 88. Love to hear from you, answer any questions uh, and just wanted to say thank you.